I'm going to start um, with a reading from Matthew chapter 3, and we will go from there. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers. Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into his barn, into the barn, and burning up the shaft with unquenchable fire. Father, this morning. We pray that your presence would meet us in this place. And Father, that you would speak powerfully to us and boldly. Father, for the good and the glory of your kingdom in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So growing up, I dreaded a certain phone call. My parents would get a phone call from time to time, letting them know that they were going to have company. And we were going to have house guests. And if we were going to have house guests, then we were going to have jobs. And so we would together, my sister and I, begin frantically cleaning the house. Picking up our toys, cleaning the bathrooms, making sure the kitchen was presentable, making sure that our guest had a clean home to come into. And it was our responsibility as the kids to kind of make sure it happened. My parents did a great job of overseeing it. They were great. And I always hated the part when company finally walked in the door because the phrase my mom, I think, always used was, you'll have to excuse the house. And I'll be quite honest, the response I wanted to give was, what do you mean you're going to have to excuse the house? This is the cleanest this house has been in the last two months. We did this for your arrival. We picked up. And so there was this part of me that was a little bit frustrated with that response. Why in the world would you say you'll have to excuse the house? We did a great job of getting it ready. 
But I want you to imagine just a minute in your life. You receive a phone call letting you know that one month from now, the President of the United States is going to visit your house. He's going to be a guest for dinner. You can choose whatever you want. It can be any president you want in the history of U.S. history. Um, I just added a word there because it seemed right the time. And it could be any president, and they call and say, hey, we're going to be at your house. And so you go and you tell your spouse, you tell your friends, hey, guess what? The president is going to come and he's going to eat at our house. And you start thinking, well, our house is a little bit dirty. We're probably going to go ahead and start now. We're not waiting till the night before to start cleaning. And we're doing some work outside and we're getting prepared. And we're figuring out what the meal is going to be that we're going to make. And we're going to make sure that it's ready for him. And then finally, the day arrives. This is the day that you've been preparing for and waiting for. He's coming to your house for dinner that evening. And you notice something. About 7 a.m., there's a knock at your door. And someone's standing outside and says, can we please come in and check out your house? And then can we walk around the outside and make sure everything is in order and there's no cause for concern? And as you let the, the gentleman into the house, you notice that another guy is walking a dog down the street, and the dog has a vest on, and he's sniffing around and checking for different things. And you look down to the end of the street, and you notice that someone set up a barricade so that no one could get down your street. They're preparing and there's a policeman standing there, and they're checking IDs as people come down the street. And if you don't have an address within this certain block, you can't get down this street. And a little bit later during the day, you start to notice the presence of police has picked up, and there's more people. And there's some people in black suits starting to patrol and, and get ready. And there's some people at the end of your street lined up with signs who seem pretty excited that this is fixing to happen that the President of the United States is fixing to drive down your street. And then, the moment you've been waiting for, you see the police officers at the end of your block pull back the barricade. And then a motorcade of motorcycle police officers pulls down your street, followed by three or four black SUVs, followed by another three or four motorcycles. And they pull up in front of your house. And the crowd at the end of the block is cheering and celebrating that this is a moment they're getting to see the President of the United States in Tyler, Texas. They're excited. And you're excited. And the door of the SUV opens. And some men in black suits surround the President. And they're looking everywhere to make sure everything is okay. It's the moment that he has arrived. John plays a role in this Jesus story in very similar fashion. His job is to prepare the way for the coming of Christ. And he is the one that said is sent out into the wilderness to prepare that road, to make the path straight. 
and to cut this tree down that doesn't belong there and throw it into the fire to the side because we've got to clean up this mess because the king, Messiah, is coming back. And we've waited for this day. We've waited for Messiah. You put yourself in Israel's shoes. They've been waiting and waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years with the promise that the king, the Messiah, was going to come. And they had this idea in their mind that when Messiah came, he was going to be Elijah 2.0. He was going to stand and he was going to call down fire from heaven and it was going to consume everything that didn't belong. But the people of Israel were going to be rescued and redeemed and forgiven and set free. And this was the moment. And so John goes out into the wilderness to start preparing the way and make this straight and cut that hill down and move this tree and move this tree and throw it into the fire and let's burn up what doesn't belong. Let's begin to line the streets and celebrate because the king is going to come and you get glimpses of what they're going to see a little bit later as the crowds line this street with palm branches and the crowd is yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna. They've been waiting. And they've been longing for this day. And John's role in this story is to simply prepare the way. Because the hope is with Messiah's coming into the world that things would be made right. That their brokenness and their oppression would come to an end. And they would be redeemed and comforted and set free. And with it would come forgiveness and healing and rescue and comfort. And John's message is the time is now. The time is now and the king is coming. Let's get ready. Yesterday we had a group of people. Um, I don't know how many we had. Maybe 15 or 20 that showed up at Jim and Dixiana Upkeeps. And we started cleaning. And there were vines and there were some overgrown um, areas in their gardens and, and flower beds. And there were stumps that needed to be cut down. We didn't have an axe, but we had a lance. Lance Dill. We didn't need an axe, we had a lance. Um, and we were cutting down um, stumps and trying to get rid of what did not belong and we were clearing these pathways and making them clean and trying to make sure that they could walk where they needed to walk and that things weren't overgrown and messed up. And John says, that's my role. That's my role in this. I'm supposed to go out into the wilderness and I'm going to prepare things for the coming of Messiah because when he comes, when he comes, everything will be made right. Get ready. But the problem is they did not know what to expect. Like I said, they were looking for the new Elijah, Elijah 2.0. They were looking for the conquering king. He was going to come back on his white horse with a sword and slay everyone. And then Israel would be set free and redeemed and everything would be made right. And they're looking for the wrong thing. And John is out in the wilderness. He's baptizing people. And it says that he's baptizing them for repentance. And repentance is this ancient Jewish um, concept. A, a word is teshuva. And it means to turn and return. 
to turn and return. It's this idea that you are moving in one distinct direction, and then you realize the direction you are moving in is not right, and you turn and go the opposite direction. We've talked about it throughout this last few series in the sense that God has given his good creation to us to steward. And so many times we take the good creation and we start going in one direction with it, a direction that it was never intended to go. And it's the realization that God has given us this to steward and we are not stewarding it well and we're going to turn and we're going to try to bring it back to redemption, to breathe life into this creation, to steward it well and to help it to go somewhere, that we have a purpose in this world to bring hope and healing and forgiveness and grace into this world. And John is preparing people for this moment. And he's calling them to turn and to be baptized. But he says that there's one coming after him who's going to baptize in a different way. And it's not just simply that baptism is not going to be a part of the equation. But baptism is going to be a little bit different. There's still going to be a sense where we are baptized to repent and be forgiven. But there is also this aspect where we are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we talked about a few weeks ago that spirit is a spirit of a counselor and an advocate. And he would come and fill us up and begin to live out of our lives. And what it does is it means we are transformed in that moment into people of forgiveness. We are the people. We are this forgiven community of forgiving sinners. Excuse me, let me restate that. We are a forgiven community that is learning to forgive as Jesus forgives. And that begins to be what marks our life. And what shapes us and forms us. Yes, we have been forgiven. We have been set free. But through the power and the working of the Holy Spirit, we have become a people of forgiveness. And so people began doing wrong and people began hurting us and talking badly about us. And we are forgiving as Jesus forgave. Because this baptism is something bigger than just your past being washed away, it's now about your future being rewritten. And it's about the type of person that you are and the way that you live your life. In the old life where we used to hold grudges and we hold on to what was holding us back, we hold on to what they did or what they said, now we're letting it go and we're releasing it and we're free from it and we're freeing other people from it because we are a forgiving community of forgiven sinners. And what we find is there is liberation from the oppression that we are set free. Because there is this realization that teshuva, return, needs to happen. Psalmist says it this way, turn from evil, and that's that word teshuva, Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Seek shalom. Seek prosperity. Seek well-being. Seek completeness 
and pursue it. But John has this problem. These Pharisees and Sadducees start coming out into the wilderness. And notice that he's very clear about where he is. Because if he is in the wilderness, where is he not? In the temple. Where do you expect to see or expect is God's chosen people for Messiah to come and show up? In Jerusalem. In the temple. But he does not come into the temple yet. First, he goes into the wilderness. And people are leaving the temple and the surrounding cities and coming into the wilderness to be prepared. And I think there's something really powerful we learn there. It is in the wilderness that our hearts are most supple. Our hearts are most easily ministered to because it's in the wilderness that we find ourselves in these dry places where we are hurting and we are thirsty. And what John has come to do is he has come into the world to prepare the world. How many people know that preparation is a process? Preparation is a process. You didn't wake up this morning and decide, I'm prepared to go to church, thankfully. You, you woke up and you probably had some coffee and got into a good mood. And then hopefully you took a shower and made yourself smell better. And you got dressed and you got in your car and you ate breakfast and you came to church. There's a process. Preparing to preach is a process. It's not just getting up on a Sunday and saying, you know what, I think I'm going to talk about this for, of course, I'm, I'm sure sometimes you think I do. Um, <laughs> but it's a process. Preparing for your week is a process, Right? You sit down on Sunday night or Monday morning and you write down what you have scheduled this week and what you want to accomplish and appointments and things that you need to remember. It's a process. I think the same way forgiveness is a process. It's a process where we come before God and we say, God, there is some stuff in my life that does not belong, that needs to be weeded out, and God, I need to ask you to forgive me. And not only do I need to be forgiven, I'm going to turn and I'm going to try to start living differently. Prayer is a process. Fasting, reading is a process. And the process is important. So what John is doing is he's going out into the wilderness. And the wilderness is the place where it seems like God is not present. It's the place that seems void. It's the place where it's dry and you are thirsty and you are looking for God. You are looking for healing and God comes in there. It is a process where God meets with you. 
wonder how many people this morning feel as if they are in the wilderness. They're in a dry and weary place. A place where your life has just dramatically taken a turn. And things are different now than they were before. And there's fear. There's fear of not knowing what tomorrow looks like. There's fear of, I'm not even sure we're going to make it. There's fear and uncertainty of, how do we make it through this week after the news we got last week? It's interesting that John goes into the wilderness and not the temple to prepare the way for Jesus. Maybe it's that in the wilderness, the voices around us, the noise that distracts us, the pace of life that wears us down, comes to a ceasing halt. And at times, the silence can be absolutely deafening. Because we are waiting for God to show up. And John comes with this simple message. That I have come to prepare the way for His coming. And these Pharisees and Sadducees show up to be baptized. And John gets so angry at them. And he wants them to understand, no, it's not just about baptism anymore. It's about truly turning your life and moving in a different direction so that the kingdom of God will come into this world to bring hope and to bring healing and to bring restoration. Maybe you've been in that place before where you were in the wilderness and you were in a dry and weary land and you were hurting and you were searching and you were deathly afraid and someone did something to discourage you. Someone did something to hurt you. Maybe someone did something to doubt, to make you doubt that God even loved you anymore. And in John's mind, that's the role the Pharisees are playing. They're not making it easier to peop for people to come to Jesus for healing. They're making it more and more and more difficult. Because they're holding everyone else to a different standard. And they're saying, well, we don't need to repent of anything. We have it all together. We're good. It's those people that have the problem. And John says, you brood of vipers. See, their problem isn't the egregious sins that we would think of. Their problem is pride and arrogance. And their pride and arrogance makes it so difficult for other people to enter the presence of God because they have it in everyone else's mind. They have it all together. And it does not make it a place where people feel like they can come to Jesus to be saved and to be healed and to be redeemed and be forgiven because they aren't like us. 
I got to ask, what side of that equation do you find yourself on? Is it the side of the ones coming into the wilderness, begging and pleading for God's presence to come into the world and to heal and save? Or is it the one that's saying, hey, we're, we got it all together. We don't need anything. We're okay. Because I'll just tell you the honest truth. For me, I bounce back and forth between the two. And I don't mean to. Because I find myself at times saying, well, thankfully I'm not like them, and thankfully I haven't been through their problems. And I also find myself at times saying, God, I'm hurting and I'm broken, and they look like they have it all together. And my guess is there's a lot more people in here that are where I am than not. People that bounce back and forth between the two. And here's the bottom line. Both sides need God's grace and forgiveness and healing because there is something that is not right distractions, when we're hurting and when we're longing and when we're broken, and so many people, so many of us avoid those desert places like the plague. We hate being there. We want to avoid it at all costs, but maybe, maybe. Maybe it's in those places that we truly learn that God has the power to redeem and heal and set free. When I was about six, we took a trip to the Grand Canyon, and my parents bought me an Indian headdress. Can you put it up there, Dustin? <laughs> and I was running through the trails along the side of the Grand Canyon. This, I, and I think this was actually the state park um, not far from there. Or maybe it was New Mexico on the way. I'm, I'm, I should have asked my mom about this story. Uh, the, the part I remember is I'm, and this is not politically correct, I'm sorry that, that it's not, but I'm running up and down the trails and leading the way and, and trying to, to make everything go, and my parents are following along. And I get a ways from probably 40, 50 yards down the trail, and my parents are around the bend, and I can't see them. And all of a sudden, I hear back, and I froze. <laughs> And it scared me to death. And I turned and I sprinted as fast as I could back to my parents. The further out I got, the more confident I got. Until I got a response that I wasn't ready for. 
because something happened that I wasn't expecting. And it was in that moment that I ran back to my parents because things weren't right. Things weren't the way they were supposed to be. And he says to these Pharisees and to these Sadducees, the problem is your pride and your arrogance. And you put so much confidence that Abraham is your father and that you're going to be saved because Abraham. But God could raise up out of these stones laying on the ground new children of Abraham. You need to get things right. Because the same message that he gave to all the people that were coming from all Judea and from Jerusalem and out of the temple was you need to get prepared because Messiah is coming. And with his coming comes justice and joy. It comes hope and healing. It comes love and forgiveness and grace. And I think it leaves us with some really important questions to ask ourselves. We, we spend so much time running at a frantic pace that we very rarely stop and slow down and check and see how we're doing. And I think so many times we try to run at a frantic pace because we find ourselves in those wilderness places where it's dry and parched land and we're hurting and we're thirsty and we're just thinking if we'll run harder, we'll get through it faster and it won't be as big of a deal. And maybe it's there in the desert that we learn to slow down. We learn to slow down so that God can speak to us and God can minister to us. I want to take just a few moments for you. Because we, we spend so much time focused on what's going on around us. And focused on what's going on in everyone else's life. And what that person is doing or not doing. And what that person needs. And I just want to ask this morning, what do you need? What do you need? And I want to ask you just to close your eyes for a moment. How is your heart? Is it hurting? Is it anxious or afraid? Does it feel dried up? Does it feel broken? And if you could ask God anything, what would you ask Him to do for you this morning? To come and breathe life into your broken spirit. To come and set you free from your need to be right. 
and pride and arrogance that seem to control your life? Do you need healing? Do you need a relationship to be restored? Do you need hope? Do you need forgiveness? Do you need to be baptized into Messiah? Do you need to repent? To turn and return to the way of, of God? Are there some branches in your life that need to be pruned? Are there people around you that God has sent you to minister to? Father, in this place, we are people who are broken, who are hurting, who seem to be in a dry and weary place at times, who are discouraged, who are searching for hope who are in need of healing, people looking for comfort, needing relationships to be restored. And Father, all of this, all of this can only happen through you. And so Father, to the, the people this morning who find themselves in the wilderness, in those dry and desolate places. I pray, Father, that your presence would flood their heart and their soul and their mind. And, Father, that you would remind them that this is part of preparation. It's part of being prepared you're coming into the world. And Father, I think the times that we are most prepared for you to show up are the times that we are the most broken and the most hurting, and they are the times that we see you most clearly, and we hear your voice because the silence around us is deafening. And so, Father, wherever we find ourselves this morning, I pray for your healing presence to fill and flood our lives. And Father, where there is greed, and where there is pride, and where there is arrogance, where there is anger, where there is lust, where there is evil desires, where there is malice, where there is hate, Father, root it out of our life. And Father, help us to steward your good creation well. 
in a way that makes the name of Jesus known and proclaimed throughout this land. Father, we pray for revival in this place, not just within these walls, but Father, within our lands. Father, through your Spirit, come and heal what is broken and what is hurting. Father, bring restoration and bring hope. Father, we don't need the light of a son. We need the light of your son to give hope and healing to this world. Father, we wait. We long for the day that you come back and make things right. Father, we wait in eager expectation. Father, come, Lord Jesus, is our prayer. Father, come heal what is broken in our lives and in our lands. We pray and trust in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.